as Matthew comes to bring us his reflections on particularly the Matthew passage, and perhaps a little on the Nehemiah as well. Let's pray for him. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that in both the Old and the New Testaments, we see great witness to the power of prayer. And we pray, as Matthew speaks to us now, that we will have ears to listen, and you will give Matthew the words to speak from you about a life of prayer. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. Um, it's wonderful to be here. We had a wonderful 9.30 service. Two baptisms, which, which uh, well, that's just giving it away completely. That's, right, okay, well, that's the starter gone. <laughs> Glory, okay, well, anyway, um, it's, it's great to be able to welcome all here. It was great to have the two baptisms and to see the church so full of people come to celebrate, people joining our church family. So about seven years ago, Elizabeth Gilbert published a novel which was to sell over eight million copies all over the world. However, about three years ago, this novel became a film. And in August 2010, Julia Roberts starred in a film bearing the title of the novel with a central character, Liz Gilbert. Your starter for 10 this morning was going to be to name that film. <laughs> but that moment has passed. Um, but most people, most people, I think, would have got it. It was a prolific novel, um, and, and it's even made its way onto my own bookshelves. So um, it features... Uh, this lady, Liz Gilbert, who was a woman I'm, uh, who had everything that a modern woman is supposed to dream of having, or so I'm reliably informed. A successful job, a husband, a house, yet she found herself lost and confused and struggling to find that thing in her life which really gave her meaning and purpose. I, I really commend the book to you. It's great. And if you don't like reading, then watch the film. You're both covered. Um, so newly divorced and at a crossroads in her life, Gilbert goes traveling, which takes her way outside of her comfort zone and takes her on a journey, which proves to be the ultimate quest of self-discovery. And part of this journey, in fact, one of the central parts of this journey, in fact, the middle word, um, hence why I use it, um, is the power of prayer and the discovery um, of the power of prayer in her life. And two quotes from the book um, that I really like to do with prayer were these. It's easy enough to pray when you're in distress, but continuing to pray even when your crisis has passed is like sealing progress, helping your soul hold tight to its good attainments. And the second one, prayer is a powerful relationship. Half the job is mine. If I want transformation but can't even be bothered to articulate what exactly I'm aiming for, how will it ever occur? Half the benefit of prayer is in the asking itself, in the offering of a clearly posed and well-considered intention. And if you don't have this, all your pleas and desire are boneless, floppy, inert. They swirl at your feet in a cold fog and never lift. Now, I'm not actually holding this up 
as reflective fully of Christian prayer. And as I look around the room and I see some of you smiling at me thinking, this doesn't quite fit our Christian understanding of prayer, I'm giving you starters for 10 for your midweek small groups. But what it does do is illustrate that even before some people come to faith and articulate a belief in Jesus Christ, they still have this sense of a calling to pray. And, you know, if you go into any bookshop these days and you look at the spirituality section and you see books or even blogs online about mindfulness, about meditation, about the increase in place of silence, I referred last time I spoke to digital Sabbaths and so on. This whole area of spirituality is one which is increasing in our communities and so we need to be mindful of it and work out as a church family how we connect with that because ultimately we believe that prayer directed towards Christ can be life transforming. But so many people find themselves coming to prayer at crisis points in their lives so many people find that when tragedy strikes, their, their established coping mechanisms um, are inadequate to deal with the situations they face. In my last parish, I was um, a hospital chaplain, um, and part of the work was to be on call um, and to respond at all times of day or night. And I remember going to bed one evening about half past ten, and, and fallen asleep, and, and then the phone went off, and you know we, we had this sort of mobile pager device, and, and it went off, um, and, and I looked at the time in my sort of groggy, half-sleep state, and it said 12.30 a.m., and I was there sort of reaching around for, for the pager, um, trying to find it so that I could see which ward it was who was calling and return the call, and then there was the scramble for the phone to call the ward sister who had, who had paged me. Um, and when I phoned, she said, can you come in? There, there's a family with um, a father who's dying, um, and they've asked if the chaplain will call. And what was interesting about this was that that family's desire was that someone go and pray, not only for um, the father who'd lost consciousness, but also join the family in offering some prayer to God for the situation. It was, it was a huge privilege, as it always was, to be a part of that situation. But what struck me was that this was a family who articulated to me um, in later conversation that they had no Christian faith, um, that, they, that you know, they had no religious conviction or Christian faith, um, but they did feel at the point at which tragedy struck for them, that their coping mechanisms were just completely inadequate to deal with the situation before them. And in asking the chaplain to join them, they'd realized uh, what they hadn't realized before in their lives, that they needed to express their need for God, um, and prayer became a vehicle of doing that. And isn't it a wonderful thing that, that deep within our sort of wiring, that within our DNA, within the fabric of our being, there, there is this need for God programmed within us. And, and for some it comes out in, in tragic circumstances, 
Um, and for some, it comes out as we go through changes in our lives, and, and others we discover through chance encounters um, and, and so on. However we come to, to encounter this need which is programmed deep within us, there is that need there that people often recognize when crisis strikes. We need prayer. We need to, to pray. And, and prayer is something that's not unnatural, but something that, that is programmed within us. I, I love the scripture that says, you know, um, when we can't find the words, the Spirit prays for us. I think it's Romans 8. Um, it groans too deep for words. Now, uh, having accepted that, you know, if, if we're programmed to be a people who pray, how then should we pray when, when we want to? Well, the scriptures don't leave us floundering, but give us a model for our prayers. And we find this in Matthew 6, uh, which was read to us, uh, where we encountered the Lord's Prayer. Now, the reason for Jesus offering this model of prayer was not to do a sort of tick box exercise where he says, okay, this is the perfect prayer that um, covers absolutely everything you could ever want in your prayer life. That was not the heart of this prayer. It is a model, it is a framework for prayer, but that wasn't at the heart. What Jesus was really doing was challenging the false piety that he saw around him and saying that if you want to really pray, then you need to pray authentically. Um, You need to offer prayer which is real. You see, prayer was central to Jewish piety, um, and as the passage from Matthew 6 gives away, uh, public prayers would be offered, um, often um, in public places, on the streets, and they'd be offered morning, afternoon, and evening, and they would be offered aloud for everyone to hear. Now, some of that, of course, is very genuine, and, and we, sh- we shouldn't um, critique that, um, but, but some of that um, was false shows of holiness, and Jesus is, is absolutely um, condemning any false show of piety that he sees. And so the essential context setting, which we find in verses 5 to 7 for the Lord's Prayer, are all about authenticity and the heart of prayer that is not for show, but a genuine seeking on our part of God and a relationship with him. With Jesus' pretentious street corner displays of false piety are out and in is the internal motivation of the heart to seek after God. Um, So let's delve straight into um, Matthew chapter 6. Oh yes, this is Rembrandt. Um, I've missed that point. Um, Yeah, we'll come back to that. So, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. The first verse sets the scene of our relationship with God. God is to be hallowed and therefore reverenced. But the word, the Aramaic word, the language that Jesus would have been speaking every day here is Abba, which was the word that Jewish children would use to address their their earthly fathers. So it was a familiar, a warm word um, that that Jesus is offering us as a way into prayer. We're, we're, We're taught to reverence God and to accept his greatness, but also to come to him as as a father figure um, with that warm and intensely personal relationship. 
And, and Nehemiah, um, in our reading from the Old Testament, starts um, his prayer um, with similar sort of words. Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him. So a great and awesome God, but also the God who loves his people and seeks to live in covenant with them. There's that dual aspect to this relationship um, where as we approach God, we approach someone who is both high and mighty, but also our Father God. Your kingdom come will be done on earth as in heaven. You know, for over 2,000 years, Christians have been praying the Lord's Prayer. And, and, and the Lord's Prayer is part of our prayer for a just and compassionate society. You can't divorce prayer from the seeking of justice. And as a Christian, when, when we see natural disasters, as we're seeing in our own country at the moment, and other natural disasters around the world, like flooding and tsunamis and so on, when we see these disasters, we often feel powerless to help or to address the situations we see around us. But, but prayer becomes one of the vehicles through which we can show our compassion for the world around us. Part of our response must always be to be a people who pray for what we see happening. Give us this day our daily bread. Prayer, uh, bread is a staple food. We need certain basic provisions uh, for life to continue. But prayer is not only for our individual needs, but for the basic needs of others. And so at Christmas, when we engage with the Christmas uh, food hampers and with our continued exploration and prayer about the possibility of engaging with food bank work, we are seeking to be a people who reveal our prayer for others that they may have their basic needs fulfilled in this very practical way. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Our actions do have very real consequences. We can cause very real hurt through what we say or what we do. Um, our actions are significant and impact the lives of others. But at the heart of the Christian faith lies this truth that forgiveness is always possible. The Lord's Prayer serves as a reminder to us as we say it every single week that, that we must regularly seek God's forgiveness. And then having been a forgiven people ourselves, we seek to offer that forgiveness and take it out to a world which needs to know grace and mercy so desperately. The giving and the receiving of forgiveness are inextricably linked and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil because living this god life is sometimes just really really hard and we need god to protect us and keep us focused on him remember that the messiah we follow was one who went to death on a cross at calvary this is not an easy faith and Jesus' invitation to us is not, come, follow me, you know, and I will give you an easy life. He promises life, but that life is not potentially easy. In fact, for many Christians around the world who live in the midst of persecution, life is very, very challenging. And living for Christ in those contexts comes at great cost. And, Gino, I want to share with you, all of you who are sitting here and who are feeling, well, yes, you know, I know I should pray. 
I know I should read the Bible. I know I should come to church. I know I should give um, of my time, of my talents, of my money. Um, but you're sitting here and you're thinking, the minister's making me feel guilty yet again. Because you might be sitting here thinking, well, I know I should pray, but it doesn't come easily to me. Well, don't feel bad. I'm not trying to induce a guilt trip. I'm not trying to make you feel terrible because prayer isn't sometimes easy. In the busyness of our lives, we have every good intention of creating quiet times um, where we can spend time with God. But so often, you know, a phone call or an email or a person at the door or a work situation take us away from that intended encounter. But do you know what? Rather than beating ourselves up, let's actually accept that it's okay not to be good at prayer, but to have the heart to work at it, to give ourselves a bit of the grace that God so freely pours into us. So if you're sitting here and you're hopeless at prayer, or if you're sitting here and you feel that you're really struggling with it, don't be embarrassed. Um, Don't feel that there's no hope. Do you know what? Last year I completed the Couch to 5K program with, with my wife, Sarah. And, um, and the beauty of this program is it, it gradually takes you from walking and doing short periods of, of jogging or running uh, through to a 5K um, run, um, which is exhausting, um, especially if you're not fit or healthy or prone to exercise. Um, and, and I enjoyed, you know, that, that progression. But there came that sort of bit of the program where you actually have to sort of stop walking for pits and just run continuously. And I know some of you in church are, are doing that program. And I'm praying for you um, that you may see it through. Um, and you have the willpower to do that. But, you know, it's that process, isn't it, of working at something, of, of not giving up. Um, St. Paul refers to us as co-laborers with God. We're working at our journey of faith, and prayer is a part of, of that process of working out how we live for Christ. You know, real, authentic, life-changing prayer is something we learn to work at. You can be weak, you can be tired, you can even be downright grumpy, but you have to have the will to give it a go. The great Anglican and Methodist cleric John Wesley underlines the importance of praying when he said, God does nothing but in answer to prayer, rapidly becoming one of my favorite quotes. God does nothing but in answer to prayer. And those of you who have been around Camborne Church from its foundations and from its roots and so on um, will, will know that prayer And God's provision have been such a part of the story of the growth of this church. And we certainly hope that everything um, that we do in the future will be grounded in that basis of prayer. So that when we see God's blessing, we know it's come from our searching of him um, and his heart for our church. And entering into the Lord's Prayer is our means of response to the Father. It's our stating that Jesus has brought his good news into our lives. The prayer states that we want to be a part of this kingdom revolution, this kingdom movement in our community here in Camborne and wider. 
that we find ourselves drawn to Jesus' embrace, Jesus' countercultural yet will-transforming message, that we recognize our need for the forgiveness from sin, debt, and every other thing that holds us back from the life that God calls us to, and that in turn we commit ourselves to living out that forgiveness into a world which, as I say, desperately needs to know compassion and love and grace and mercy. God does nothing but in answer to prayer. So let's commit ourselves to continuing to be a church which prays, let your kingdom come in our midst. Let us know your forgiveness and your power to save. Let's commit ourselves to pray impassionately and committedly that God might work in the lives of people who we've had on our hearts and minds for ages and that we might see this community transformed uh, by God's transforming love, bringing hope, bringing freedom, bringing revolution in our midst. Prayer changes lives in a very real way, both ours and those who are on the receiving end of our prayers. So maybe now, as as I finish speaking, um, we want to live out the things that we hear about in church. So I'm going to challenge you now um, to think in in your minds um, about about a situation or or about a person um, who you've been praying for for a while, or you've had on your mind but haven't yet committed um, to pray for. And and I wonder if over the course of the next 30 days, you can just try and remember to pray for that situation or that person, maybe it's a family, um, each day. And I wonder what testimonies we would have from our church family in 30 days' time if we actually passionately commit to praying for a situation intentionally, clearly. Actually, we hook back to that first quote from... um, Second quote from Eat, Pray, Love, you know, that our prayers have to be intentional. And I think on that point we agree. So, so have a think in your minds as I, as I close in prayer about what it is that you're going to be offering to God over the next 30 days. And just get excited about the possibilities that God may answer those prayers in incredible ways. Father God, we thank you that you love us and that you pour your grace and forgiveness into our lives. Thank you that we can call you Abba, Father, that we can live in relationship with you. And thank you, Father, that you know our weakness and you know the days when we don't feel like praying. And in those moments, your spirit intercedes for us in groans too deep for words. And so as we're calling into our individual minds and hearts the situations and people that we're going to commit to praying for for the next month. We just pray that we would see your hand of blessing work and that we might come back in a month's time with um, testimonies of your continuing goodness. These things we ask through Christ who is our Lord. Amen.